Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. This is episode 10. Today, we're talking to my friend Eric Tivers. You might know him as the host of the ADHD Rewired podcast, but he's also a dad, a dad affected by ADHD, and a dad of a son who is thrice exceptional. I met Eric through his online video-based coaching and accountability groups. I've been both a member and an admin in his coaching program, and I've seen firsthand the power of his model. Focusing on productivity, planning, and time management, and using strategies like accountability teams, adult study halls, and the power of group, Eric's coaching model is truly amazing. By the way, he's about to launch another one, but last I heard, There were only five or six slots left, and registration is closing on March 15th. Registration is by appointment only, and he schedules interviews for Tuesdays and Thursdays. Go to coachingrewired.com for more details. The groups start on April 9th. In today's episode, Eric and I discuss sensory challenges, supportive spouses, and how hard it can be to bring successful work strategies home. All right. Let's get rolling. What's it like being a dad with ADHD? Honestly, it's the hardest job I've ever had in my entire life. You know, it's one of these things where I often catch myself in these moments of, oh, I should record what I just did so I can use this as an example of what not to do as when you're when you're parenting. You know, it's it's tough. You know, my, my wife wanted four, I wanted two, and then we had my son. And we're like, oh, yeah, one's good. Yep, yep, we're good, we're good <laughs> with one. You know, so uh, my, my son has a, a unique brain. I like to call it trice exceptional. And um, Brendan, and we talked about this right before we hit record about what I was going to share, because I haven't really shared the specifics about my son. But, you know, we're, we're kind of getting to that point. Uh, so, you know, my, my son uh, does have an autism diagnosis. He also is highly gifted, and while not officially formally diagnosed, he's also comes off the ADHD tree. And some of those things, especially in the realms of the impulsivity, my patience is um, not a bottomless well when it comes to his impulsivity. But I think in the realm of how I communicate with him about it, he does say things to me like, I don't know why I did that. And not in a, I'm trying to get out of trouble kind of way. Like, I really don't know why I did that. And that's, that's tough. That's tough as a parent because I, I, I understand that struggle all too well. They, for me, it's the opposite of like, I don't know why I didn't do that because I have the more of the, the inattentive type of ADHD. So I think the, you know, the, the planning piece of being dad having to be on i'm not a morning person per se uh, my wife is at least one of you is and and my son is too so I mean, he's always 
needed kind of has gotten less sleep than most people, uh, most kids his age. And he's, you know, he's up at 530. We make him stay in bed until six. Wow. Uh huh. And he's always needed less sleep and or at least gotten less sleep because the, the, the rare occasion, which happens maybe once every six weeks where he sleeps like an extra 45 minutes than usual. Those days where he gets that extra cycle of sleep, he's like angelic. But coming back to what's it like to be a dad uh, with, with ADHD, I think for me, some of the challenges around my ADHD or this, these intersect is that I'm very kind of state based, meaning like when I'm in work mode, I am 100 percent in work mode and the rest of life doesn't really actually exist in my world until I you know, go home and then it's then I'm there. However, sometimes I have a hard time transitioning. So mm-hmm. one of the biggest challenges for me is creating that balance. And it's something that I'm, I'm always working on. I have a lot of more work to do on that. So what do you do to transition? How do you move from work mode to family dad mode? Especially because I know your commute is like 45 seconds long. It's not. Like, I think it's 10 minutes. Is it it's, 10 it's, minutes? It's not quite 10 minutes. But uh, <laughs> it's like... You know, it used to be three minutes. It's now seven minutes. And that's why I'm asking this question, right? It's because working from home is a much more common thing now. So I'm imagining there's some listeners who work from home and maybe they do a really good job of like putting a sign on the door and locking their office and the kids don't bug them or whatever's happening. But they're going straight from work to home by walking through a door. You're doing it by driving for three minutes. But that's not a lot of time to, to shift. I know for me, when I would drive to school, that half hour time from, from the school to my house, that gave me time to make the transition. Mm-hmm. But I don't have that time anymore because I'm working from home. And you don't really have that time because your commute is so short. So what are you doing to help with that transition? Well, I often get home after uh, my son goes to bed, which is something that, you know, it's, it's interesting because my, my wife is, is, she's really supportive of the work that I do. And, and I guess accommodating of my ADHD, you know, which is interesting because then I feel like sort of guilty about it because she doesn't make me feel bad. But on the flip side, I knew, if she, I know if she were to make me feel bad about it, I would probably just, you know, be resentful of it. And, uh, you know, so it's, it sort of puts her in a no-win position. It motivates me to keep trying to improve in this area um, because it's something that I genuinely want to, to do. It's hard for me to shift gears. Um, and it's something that I, I work on a lot, something that um, I have a lot of work to do in that area. You know, it's it, it's funny because I say to, to people that adulting is hard. When you have ADHD, adulting is really hard. And, uh, you know, it's like I do a couple things really well, but it's amazing how many things I profoundly struggle with. Just to make a dentist appointment for myself, if it weren't for my wife, I probably still wouldn't have made a dentist appointment, which I... I had a crown fall off a couple of weeks ago that I just was ignoring. I was like, I should probably go get that thing taken care of. And then my wife, like while she's working now, made an appointment for me. Like calls me. She's like, hey, which time is better? This time or this time? I'm like, um, this time. It's frustrating and comical at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like really like it's it's amazing how hard this kind of stuff is. And yeah. so it's. Like if I could hardly take care of my own stuff like that, and I'm responsible for a life, like I'm a dad, what? Like how did this happen? It's hard. It's parenting, being a dad with ADHD and a business owner is, um, it's, it's hard. 
it's good to hear that, that your wife can be, um, you said accommodating, but I'm going to go with accepting. Yeah. I think accepting is a, probably a better word. Yeah. That your wife can be so accepting of it. And then that she can make modifications. It's really amazing. Like it's funny because my wife and I are very different. Um, she's very, very much of a linear thinker, not an outside the box thinker. She likes things that have very well established rules and procedures. The, the idea of entrepreneurship is like, it's the last thing she'd want to do, but she, she really does. She accepts me for who I am, um, without trying to change me in, in any way. And so anytime I'm like, oh man, I wish we can just like go to this concert at, that starts at 10 PM, which will never ever happen. Right. Cause my wife just won't do that. <laughs> I am just very grateful about all the ways that she does uh, accept the, the challenges that I, that I do have. Looking at that piece of it and being very grateful of that. And, and I'm sure that you tell her that. Like, I do. Often. I know you well enough to know that you are saying thank you to her probably all the time. Um, and and that's, that's important. That's key to that, keeping that relationship going, right? Like acceptance grows when gratitude shows up mm-hmm. and it dies on the vine if there isn't any. So. Mm-hmm. My wife does similar things for me that your wife does for you, right? She's very organized and very prepared. And even that phone call thing you mentioned, right? Like how your wife made the dentist call. For the longest time when I was in the school, I literally couldn't make phone calls for anything because I was on stage for six, seven hours a day. And that 45-minute prep time when I had, I'm not making a phone call. Then I got stuff to grade. I have lessons to plan. Like it's not a thing. So my wife made all my phone calls for me too and was setting up appointments, usually in advance. She'd say, I'm going to call and get you a doctor's appointment. When, when, when is a good day? Because the answer for what time was always like 3.30 after school's over. Now that I'm not in school anymore, there's this interesting little dynamic that happens sometimes where she's like, do you need me to make that call? And I feel a little threatened by that because I feel like that's an ADHD thing now that I'm not making the call mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, I just literally can't. So I'm always like, no, 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 I'll make it. I'll make sure I'll make it. And then a day or two later, she's like, do you want to make that call? I'm like, no, sorry. Like I'm going to set a reminder on my phone or with Alexa or whatever the case may be. And then I wind up making that call. And now it's, we're getting to the point where it's like, do you want to make that call? No, I'll make it, honey. Don't worry. Where are you going to set the reminder? (laughs) Like she'll remind me to do that. And then it, it happens more often. You know, and now that my, my wife went back to work this year, I mean, I've, I've been sort of considering just getting, hiring a, a part-time personal assistant to like be my like paid wife in a sense. The person that does all those just executive functioning right, skills. Right, right. Like I've been needing to take my car in for so long and it's like, I think about it every day. I don't even feel comfortable bringing my son in my car because I'm like, I don't know if this is safe. You're talking to a guy whose car burned down, so I'm with you. <laughs> That makes me feel better. I remember that story. Um, I mean, I, I had to fill up my tires for so long. And because my commute is so short, I'm like, hey, it'll be fine. I'm not going on the highway. And so I was going uh, uh, going down to meet Nisha uh, the other day, who's someone that Brendan also knows, who was in the Rewired coaching group. And I knew that I had to fill it up before I got on the highway. I went to, to go fill it up. Both of my back tires needed air. But the one that I knew needed air, I mean, it looked almost flat. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, it's absurd. You know, it's these things that normal people make look easy. Like, and I take Adderall and I have the strategies. I know the strategies, but one of the things that I've, I think over the last four to six months, I've really have realized. And it's like, I should have known this in a very intellectual sense, all the strategies that have helped me be successful in my business. 
I don't bring any of those home. This is something that I've even worked with a lot of clients on. Well, if this works for you at work, let's bring that home because it's working for you. And I see it work for, for my clients then. So I'm trying to manage some projects at home. And now I have like different to-do lists in that are actually posted in different rooms in my house because it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's environmental based. So I can say, oh, yeah, like, um, so I'm in the basement. Oh, yeah, I wanted to finish this thing that I was working on. It's amazing how much that gap between the skills and strategies that I have that I do in my professional life has not really come into play in my personal family life. Um, my son goes to, to uh, occupational therapy uh, once a week. He takes this group gymnastics class and these uh, kind of assignments, this homework that the therapist wants us to do with him. You know, it's like week after week. It's like, have you, have you done the homework? It's like, oh, crap. Oh, yeah, the homework. And it's like, I need a checklist to be going off of and reminders to be going off of. And it's, I mean, it's almost comical that I'm just now having sort of this aha. Like, oh, I should probably be using these strategies at home. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's just like, I just feel like sitting in the chair. Related to that, because I have conversations with parents that are very similar to what you just talked about, where they'll say, at school, my kid is amazing, but at home, he can't seem to do anything. Or at home, he does all his chores and stuff, but he never gets his studying done or he doesn't do his homework or whatever. That transfer of a concept from one environment to another, from one part of our life to another, doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. Even for people who are mature and successful and do this stuff for a living, that transfer still doesn't always happen. And we have to be very thoughtful and mindful of it. So if your kid is struggling with those skills in one area, but not in another, you have to help them transfer it across Mm -hmm. to whatever that other thing is. Like they get along with everybody at school, but for some reason they're not using those social skills when they visit someone at home or when they're on the soccer field or whatever the case may be. You have to help those skills transfer. Well, it's kind of that idea of generalization. Can you do something in one setting and another setting? And this is, you know, a lot my my background, I did a lot of work uh, with autism. And after my son was diagnosed, I sort of stepped back professionally from working with autism because it was just, it was too close. Um, and so that, that was a, a complicated transition, I guess, in my personal and professional life to, you know, really just want to be dad and not therapist. Um, right. And that's a, something that I struggled with for, for a while. But I think it's I think I made the right decision. So my kids are a little bit older than yours. One of the challenges that I'm finding right now is that like my skill set is teaching and parenting and ADHD and, and all of that stuff. Right. And my kids have just hit third grade and now their academics matter all of a sudden. Before it was sort of like you're laying a foundation and figuring stuff out and testing isn't a thing yet and all that stuff. Third grade, now testing is a thing and they're coming home and they have to memorize their math facts and all this stuff. And suddenly my skill set is like perfect for my kids, but it's so hard to use because they're my kids. You were sharing something about the, uh, the the scavenger hunt that you put together for your kids. And when yeah. you were sharing that, I was just like, that's amazing to me. That's one of those things. You, you ever see that that picture on um, it's on Halloween? It's like what I intended on doing and having all these amazingly carved pumpkins and like all this whole intricate design. And then like mm-hmm. what, what I actually did is just like one uncarved pumpkin on your stoop. That's how that's like my world as a parent, like all the things that I imagine and think about wanting to do uh, with my son. And then like what I actually do, it feels like the, the one uncarved pumpkin. And I think that's a piece of what makes us a solid team is I have all these amazing ideas about what I'm going to do with my business. 
And I don't implement that stuff as well. <laughs> but I hooked up with Eric Tivers, who's really good at implementing that stuff. And maybe some of the like wacky parent stuff I do will rub off on you. So we moved to, uh, we're now 25 minutes outside of Chicago, which I mean, we used to be about an hour and a half outside of Chicago. I'm like, oh, great. So now we can go into the city and I'm going to take uh, into these cool museums. And I haven't done that yet. You know, I think about it. This requires planning you know in my work life i know how to do that i think just that that realization uh hopefully will uh put good intentions into to actions but it's you know it's, i think it's acknowledging it it's being aware of it you know one of the other things for one of the challenges that i have found as a as a parent with adhd uh that cuts across every domain of my life is the ability to remember people's names it is a profound challenge that I have. And I want to be an active person in his school. But that awkwardness of, okay, I've had conversations with these people and I still can't remember their name or even his teachers. I sometimes like, like I know their name, but I can't retrieve it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it stinks. It's hard. It's, I, I, it's one of these, these, like, these areas where I'm like, oh, I would, almost give anything to be able to figure out a way to to compensate for that other than can i, I give you a cheat yes because there's a super easy cheat for please. schools please everybody in the school starts with mr or miss or ms so you can say so ms oh, i'm sorry i just totally blanked could you remind me of your name and it seems like you knew it, but in that moment you forgot it, as opposed to just you forgot it a week ago and now you're talking to them again. You can't do it all the time with everybody, but intermittently you can sprinkle that one in. Well, then with parents too, because the school that I that my son is at, it's a it's a private school for kids who are gifted, and uh, so there's a lot of parent involvement. Parents are really nice, and I've had many conversations with them, and I couldn't tell you what any of their names are. Today I'm actually going to my first Cub Scouts meeting with my son. So I'm going to be seeing people who I've had conversations with that I am not going to be able to remember their name. And that's hard. Can your son or wife help you? Yeah, potentially. Both of them are pretty good at names. My wife's like one of those people who can like meet someone one time. And at the very least, she remembers the first letter of their name, but usually remembers her name, which sometimes she's told me, yeah, it's been actually awkward for some people because I'll refer to them by their name. And they're like, how do you know me? My wife's weird memory skill is that she remembers everyone's birthday. Like everybody. She remembers birthdays from kids she knew in elementary school. I would just like to remember names. I have a similar problem. I'm not that great with names either. But I, I tend to be remembered like I'm a memorable person. It helps because people greet me as opposed to me greeting them a lot of the time. I've, I've often had that experience. Well, especially when I was in college. I know it's like everyone knew me. I, partially because I was like the kid on the college campus that wore overalls and tie-dyes and had dreadlocks. I didn't just blend in. I was a hippie musician. Yeah, that was me. What are some reoccurring struggles in your family that you're managing? I mean, you've, you've mentioned sort of getting home and making doing that transition stuff. Uh, scheduling date night. That's another area where I struggle. I want to be doing the date night, you know, but it, planning ahead for these kinds of things, it's tough. And having the resources too, because you need, someone's got to hang out with the kid. That's right. That's right. So there's that. Um, other, other areas of struggle in the family. Um, there's never enough time, it feels like. That's a theme I'm hearing. Yeah. Because I know how good you are professionally and you schedule stuff and it's nailed down and it's good, but then you're not getting your tires done because right. you didn't schedule it. Right. 
and date night kind of can work the same way. Like you just have to schedule it. Right. And you can even schedule it and then figure it out later if you have to. I mean, there's, there's times where I go, I'll go weeks where I don't have a real conversation with my wife until the weekend. Wow. That's not good. Right. And I feel mm. very disconnected. Um, so of course I'm a, a person who at night like wants to just like dump everything out of my head and my mm-hmm. wife's the person at night who wants to not talk about anything of significance because then she'll just keep thinking about it and she can't wind down so one of the ways that i accommodate her is i agree that after 8 p.m fluff only no topics of any real significance i have that rule with my wife a similar rule where once we've gone to bed there can be no new topics because I just, I don't, I'm not going to bring up anything new. And if I have some, a new thought, I'm going to go write it down and like deal with it tomorrow or whatever. But every now and then she'll be like, I was just wondering about what we're going to do for Thanksgiving. And I'm like, uh, and all of a sudden I feel like I need to solve that problem. And it's like 945 at night and I want to go to sleep. But my brain is now trying to solve this thing that for her is not a big deal. She's just like offhandedly mentioning it and it's not anything to worry about that's, yeah that's the, it's the flip within our relationship absolutely it's uh and it's funny because there's those things that it's like well you sort of want to get credit for the thing that you didn't do but you're not gonna it's not noticeable because you didn't do it we often call that the dishwasher moment you're about to go empty the dishwasher you're actually walking towards it with the intention to go empty it and then like she'll ask you will you go empty the dishwasher and then it's like, you can't get credit for it that you're about to actually do it on your own because she just asked you to do it. So it's it's one of those like, oh, I was I was going to do it. I was literally just about to do it. And then you asked. So it's hard to get full credit. But so sometimes I'll sort of jokingly, you know, it'll be past the 8 p.m. And I'll I'll say to her, you know, um, I um, I'm going to not say the thing that I was just thinking right now, just so you can know that I'm filtering right now. She's like, thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. That dishwasher moment is great. That whole concept of, no, I remembered this time, but because I headed in the direction of the thing that I remembered to do, you remembered it also, and you assumed I was just wandering. I mean, it is a fair assumption. I mean, there have been times where she, like, we'd be watching TV, and she asked me to look from the lights off, and the next thing she knows, she's like, why are you making hot cocoa right now? I was like, oh, yeah, I was turning the lights off. <laughs> so, you know, it's a fair <laughs> assumption. That's awesome. No, I've had that. It happened to me today. I was at the gym, and I, I was leaving, and I was, like, collecting my stuff, and the last thing I grabbed was my headphones, and the, this guy I'd been talking to was like, don't forget your headphones. And it just totally, I felt completely undermined for some reason. I was just like, but I did remember my headphones. It was just the last thing I was picking up. Why did you assume I forgot them? We just started talking to each other today. You know nothing about me. <laughs> <laughs> must be a sign on you, Brendan. I don't know. Yeah, seriously. So how does ADHD make things more fun? Are there any stories or happenings in your family that ADHD has contributed to in a more positive way? With my son, I try to get him involved in some of the, the things that I also enjoy, including podcasting. He's a star of the Gibson and Eric show. And it's so funny because he totally has like this podcasting voice when he gets in front of the microphone. Um, like he's kind of a ham. And like, so that's that's really fun. I'm I'm more willing to to do projects and stuff with him. I'll go in deeper into something that we're doing. I think I'm more open to letting him try things that, that might be questionable to allow him to try, but I'm just, I'm just like, let's, let's see what happens. I want to create a space to really help him be him. 
so I think being playful and being silly and um, like I, you know, it's funny because you know I'm, I spend so much time sort of coaching him uh, through some of the, the social pieces, but he's you know he's six and um, he is uh, fully engrossed in like potty humor. I guess I'd never really gotten over that part of, of that phase, you know. So having that that trying to teach him what's like can't say this in public kind of thing and then also just like engaging with him a little bit in there recently i've been engaging him more in that because he like he's he loves language and he's he's brilliant around language i mean it just like he he it's profound on a daily basis the things that like the way he just his grasp of the way language works everything from he was reading at like 12 months old to i mean he reads probably at a fifth grade level like under reads and understands but his like he can pick up on foreign languages very very quickly uh, and naturally okay here, here's an example this is like oh, a year or two ago so four four or five we were reading a book and he wanted to be one of the characters in the book so in real time he's changing the pronouns while reading <laughs> right right it's like like four years old yes I was sort of watching his eyes to see, like, how is he, what is he doing when he's reading? What I notice is he, I think, scans the page very quickly. Now he has a picture in his mind, and he's basically, like, using that to now say what was on the page. Because, like, when he's reading, I've noticed he's not necessarily looking at the words that he's reading at that moment. Uh, if there is a picture on the page, he may be looking at that. So it's, I mean, it's really interesting the way he processes information. He'll write stories. Oh, his new thing. He has these, um, you know, like Pokemon. I mean, he doesn't even know that much about it other than he's seen a couple of, of the character names. He's created this whole book of, he calls them Gibimon. The names that he's come up with for all of these characters really use the same kind of framework as the, the character names of Pokemon. Like, just right. the syntax of it. So for listeners who don't know what Pokemon is, although I find that a little hard to believe because it's everywhere but names are things like pikachu and charmander and squirtle so he's using those same kinds of kinds of names that's cool um but then he'll have like this a series of like red and green shape number one red and green shape number two but they're like randomly intermixed like through the other characters but it's just it's really fascinating to me but then he gets very um he can he can sometimes be kind of a dictator um where he's like and you have to work on your daddy mon uh, and make your own characters. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, when you say you have to, are you, do you mean, hey, would you like to do this? And so it's one of the, the things where, where I kind of coach him through, like, better ways to, to get people to do some of the things that you are hoping to get them to do. We're still working on that one. We'll probably be working on that one for a long time. I've created uh, a whole series of them. My favorite one, though, I think was um, Invisible Burrito Man. Invisible Burrito Man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so in the square where where I uh, where you would draw the picture, yeah, there is nothing. That's awesome. Because what what sparked that? Because each thing I was like creating an association in some tangential way from the prior one that I created, and um, the other one I had was uh, taco too much, and it was a picture of like a taco oh, with, a, wow. with a face, right? So I'm like taco, <laughs> okay, burrito. All right. Um, Right, so he he thought that was funny. Like he, so he likes that kind of stuff. He likes puns and, and he loves play. puns. 
So he and I would get along. Yeah. Oh, it's it's it, <laughs> like if um you know that probably the nerdier of the pun the the better. Uh, he he likes it. He can um he, I mean he's he's just really clever. Your pride in him and love for him really comes through while when you're talking about him. Mm-hmm. It's great to hear. No, and and we'll, we we wrestle and I, and I I sort of teach him how to do that like rough play because I, th- I think it's actually a really important skill for especially boys to learn how to do because so much of it has to do with modulation how do you sort of appear rough but not actually hurt somebody how do you make the claw motion and actually like put your fingers on somebody and make the motion of scratching without actually making them bleed yeah that control is hard and so we we do that uh pretty regularly which also gives him a lot of that sensory input that that he likes the best parenting mechanisms that I've ever uh, learned is um, you know what a Zerbert is. Yes. So um, I I uh, parent through the threat of Zerbert. It is so effective. <laughs> it might be one of my most effective parenting strategies when I'm trying to get him, you know, to to get his clothes on for school. Will activate Zerbertron, and so he has to get his shirt on. Zerbertron is now counting down from twenty to, to zero, and if Zerbertron <laughs> gets to zero, he's going to get a big old wet Zerbert. <laughs> That's hilarious, and he'll and he'll ask for it too. It's so I think he also recognizes that if it's not fun, like it's hard for him to to do it. Yep. Um. Yep. You know, and at the same time, I'm also teaching him, um, uh, you know, respect for his own body. Because if he, if we're wrestling, I'm like, I'm going to give you a Zerber. And he's like, no, 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 no. I won't do it if he says no. You know, so it's yep. helping him like know like that his body's his body. That he should expect from anybody. That if you say no, that they need to listen. Yeah, that's awesome. That That's a great, that's a really important lesson. I think some of that too is a because we're so much more aware of that component of body identity and, and, and healthy sexual uh, awareness. Uh, that I think there's a generational gap, you know, the grandparents, give me a hug. Oh, just give me a hug. It's like, he doesn't want to hug. Respect it. Doesn't yeah. mean he doesn't love you. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, he doesn't want to hug. It's not, not about you. It's about him. So I think that's an important thing to, to teach our kids. Yeah, that is one of the challenging things with my guys, right? Is they, when they get really upset, hugs help calm them down, but I'm not going to hug them when they're really upset, unless I know it's okay to hug them. And they can't always process that. They can't always let me know. So there's times when I'm like, I know that the what you need right now is for me to give you a hug. Like the physical presence, you need the physical pressure, you need that sensory stuff. You also need to know that this is not a deal breaker, whatever's going on right now. Like, like I still love you. You need all of that communicated to you and hugs are super direct with that, but you're not in a spot where you can say yes or no right now. And I just have to sit back and make you stay in that spot. Um, and that can be hard. So maybe we can talk about some of the, uh, some those kind of like little strategies, the, the toolbox. Yeah. What do you got? And so some of the things that we do that's uh, with, with our son is um, row, row, row your boat where he pushes his hands on our hands. And we, for that input, when he's, you can just tell he's like kind of everywhere and is sort of a, a loose cannon okay. bouncing off the walls. And so you're sort of putting your hands up like for a high 10 and he places his hands against yours and then you're moving pushing back and forth with each other like you're rowing a boat. Yes. And so it's it's giving him that that deep pressure joint compression that he often needs. Another one that we do is so one of the, the things that he started doing over the last year is if you, when you think about a kid that's like sort of pouting and crossing their arms and going, hmm. So he does that, yep. but he gets like this sort of angry <laughs> scowl on his face. And, 
And so one of the, the strategies that I've been working with him on that he's actually has been using most of the time is using the crossing his arms as a cue to breathe using progressive muscle relaxation. What we've done is I have him make that crossed arms and make him get really tense and I say, all right, I'll take a deep breath and hold it and tighten those muscles and now relax all. And then do it again. And so, and it's, it's been surprising how quickly he's actually has picked this up or I'll see him do this. And then I just give him a look and he'll now breathe. Now that the key is to get him before he's completely off the deep end and lost his mind. Uh, Cause it's mm-hmm. like, at that point, it's, you're just a matter of waiting it out. And it's impressive that he's taken to it. Right. Cause I've worked with plenty of kids who that stuff is a little too weird for them and they don't want to go anywhere near it. Well, cause I was struggling with getting him to breathe and to take deep breaths when he was angry. And so I, you know, thinking back to my training um, in, in floor time and DIR, which uh, is an autism based intervention, which basically it's like you meet them where they're at and you start with their sensory needs. And so, like, okay, where is he at? And that moment he is physically crossing his arms and angry. So let's meet him right there. And so that became a stronger cue for him. You know, it doesn't always work, but it's, been working more often than than not uh, we have a, a trampoline in our family room and it's an awesome trampoline because i can even jump on it is it like one of those little round ones or? yeah it's a, it's a round one that has it doesn't have the springs it has these like really strong uh bungee or elastic it's such mm. a smooth jump and it's quiet it's a great workout we have him do those every morning um just to get some of the his energy out Going with the deep pressure stuff, mm-hmm. do you do anything with like weighted blankets or weighted sweatshirts or anything like that? You know, we used to with the blankets. He would never like keep them on, but he does sometimes like squeezes. And, you know, we really try to teach him a lot of the self-regulation stuff, like, you know, doing wall push-ups. It's funny, though, with him, if he ever hears this, he's he'd be like, I can't believe you said it was on the podcast. When he's naked, he just comes alive. It's just like <laughs> if he's like in a mood or like, all right, just Let's get him naked. All right. He he just like it's so amazing how how uh it just because he he struggles with energy. Like he's often lethargic, but yet like rambunctious at the same time. Which I know just doesn't make okay. sense. But yeah, I'm trying to picture that, but it's not working. Right. It's like so he's often just like the you know, the the, the lump on the floor. Um, you know, doesn't really want to do anything. But when he's moving around, he's like he's all over the place. So he's like a cat. And he can't, like, if he has an idea, like, and he wants to communicate it with you, he cannot communicate an idea while sitting still. Like, he, he paces, he, he'll walk out of the room to share his idea with you. <laughs> I can't hear you anymore. Right. It's You're like, not oh anywhere my God. near me. Uh, it's, it's tough. So I'm so often giving him, you know, that, that feedback, you know, being very cognizant of his, of his self-esteem and his, you know, trying to really foster a healthy self-esteem while really trying to help them have a very rich sense of self-awareness. Cause I just think that piece is so important, you know, is, yeah. um, uh, B- before we go to self-esteem, I just want to circle back really quick for, for the listeners, because you mentioned the floor time and DIR and that those are autism interventions. And then mm-hmm. we sort of talked about some deep pressure and, and the rowing the boat and all that stuff. And I just want to point out that even though those are autism interventions, they're completely valid strategies for working with kids who are just, feeling overwhelmed in general, whether that kid is autism or has ADHD or is mm-hmm. neurotypical and just having a day, these strategies of breathing, of getting some deep pressure, even just a weighted blanket, something as straightforward as that, um, it still works. It's still doing the same thing. 
So speaking of weighted blankets, um, I actually love a heavy blanket. And my favorite weighted material is actually at the dentist office. The x-ray thing? Yes. <laughs> so I have to tell you that uh, this this uh, past dentist visit, I had, I've always thought about asking, but I never did. I, I actually asked this time after I had my x-ray, like, can we keep it on? They let me keep the x-ray pad on the entire time. That's sensory stuff, man. Like, it cuts right to the core. And we just, I think as as humans, we don't pay enough attention to it. So my uh, my niece and nephew, uh, my family were over for uh, for Hanukkah the other day. And um, you know, the, my sister and my niece and nephew, I, we, I would not describe any of them as quiet. You know, they come into the house and it's just mm-hmm. like a balls of energy and, and intensity. I get very sensorily overwhelmed, like auditorily. The whole family's together and, and they're being them, you know. I'm very grateful that we have just one kid because i don't think i could do multiple i really don't yeah it is i mean i've got two and it's it's more than twice as loud and my guys love buffalo wild wings the worst restaurant in the world for me because it's so it's all that stimulation it's tvs and noise and neon and i hate it I'm like can't we go to bertucci's like bertucci's is quiet and calm and i will hear what you say to me so i hear you on the sensory stuff yeah, and I think it's it's a really important factor to to consider. I mean, it's uh, I think because of my work with autism, it's helped me become more aware of my own sensory anomalies, if you want to call them that. I have major auditory processing issues. You know, it's like I hear everything, which is great when I'm like editing audio because I hear everything, and I can really hear the nuances right. and and whatnot. It's great as a musician because I can hear all the the, the parts of the whole. It's awful when you're at a restaurant trying to have a conversation. Um, beyond what we've already talked about, what are some essentials that you think people with ADHD, parents with ADHD, should know about? Mm. I think that it's about education and self-awareness. It's, I think that's the most important thing around ADHD. It's about understanding the real nature of this disorder and how it impacts whether it's your child or yourself or both. And also knowing that if you're a parent with ADHD, um, doesn't mean that your child's ADHD is the same as your ADHD. Um, so being kind of cautious of that projection. That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I've worked with uh, a lot of families on that where parents are like really like trying to focus a certain area with their kids because their parents struggling with something. I'm like, your kid's actually not struggling with this thing. Yeah. Like they're struggling with nine other things, yep. but like they're actually doing okay with this thing. Having that awareness and being curious and trying to stay out of judgment and model by example, which means like when you mess up, own it. You know, if I can share a quick story, one of my uh, not proud parenting moments, um, I'm, I'm not a yeller. I think I, I've yelled at my son one and a half times. Okay. Um, the uh, so the first time that I yelled at my son, he was four, maybe late three, and he decided to have a tantrum at about I think a quarter to five in the morning in the hallway right in front of my bedroom door. And so I opened the door. <laughs> Parents don't do this, and I said, "If you want to have a tantrum." Go somewhere else and do it. And then I slammed my door. I went back to bed. Can I talk about the walk of shame when I actually got up in the morning, like realizing what I did? I came downstairs and sat down next to my son, who was, I think, playing with Legos at the time. And 
I apologized to him. I told him like that I was sorry and that I did not handle my frustration. Um, I did not handle my frustration well. Ironically, after that moment, he was always very cautious about making noise. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so I think the the value of that is if you're gonna yell, save it for the rare occasion. The other one when I yelled was so my son he decided he wanted to quote unquote borrow some uh crayons from the art classroom Uh-oh. i don't actually mean borrow um and they went into his pocket and um my wife washed and dried them so we were supposed to go to this uh um boy scout rocket launch and i had to clean the dryer which took me about three hours of Whoa. just painful cleaning um and for any tips for how to do it so i used a um, a blow dryer, fabric softener as my scrub, and then a light mix of water and vinegar, and then rinse repeat over and over and over again, just in case it happens to, it happens to you. So uh, we explained to him that, like, we'll try to go to the rocket thing, but we're going to be delayed because we have to take care of this first. Right. And he was uh, trying to be understanding. He was for a little bit, but then he started getting impatient. And then, so he's coming to the laundry room, and I'm sitting there sweating out, like, on my hands and knees, bodies in the dryer, cleaning this thing, and he's, like, starting to get worked up. And I, and I said, as I said, Gibson, like, I need to ask you to leave the laundry room because I am very close to losing my patience. And, and he kept going. I said, one. <laughs> and then I yelled, two, which upset him a little bit. Then he, like, walked away yeah um so that was what i said like the the uh my one and a half that was my half um <laughs> i was just picturing this like super potent too echoing out of the dryer like... <laughs> <laughs> but then after we cleaned it we actually had a, a really amazing conversation about adhd and um you know exploring should we be looking into to talking to a doctor about maybe uh, getting some help with some medication um, you know, I, he knows that I take medication, uh-huh. um, for, for my ADHD. Um, and it was, it, it turned into a really wonderful conversation. Cool. Um, That's so it's, great. it, yeah. So it's, it's turning those moments of, I can't believe I'm like, cause I was, I was totally contemplating. I'm like, should I just buy a new dryer? Cause this is awful. <laughs> but yeah, it's the, I guess these are the, uh, your, those earning my stripes, I guess, in those those moments. So I guess it's going back to the question, what's the ADHD essential kind of takeaway? Self-awareness, compassion, humor, and Zerberts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks, Brandon. This, this was a lot of fun. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.